My name is Lance Millsaps, and I'm the Minister of Students, and I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. You know, silence is one of those things that can sometimes be nice. It's, it's something that we, we look forward to at times, and especially in the frantic pace that we're in of this holiday season of, of Christmas shopping and wrapping presents and parties and baking cookies, all the things that you just saw in this video, sometimes you just wish you could just sit down in a little, and have a little bit of peace and quiet and silence and remember that it is just simply Christmas. We long for that sometimes. But there are also times where silence can be a little bit frustrating. Uh, when, when my wife and I, um, Brittany, when we first started dating, we were in college. She was in Kentucky. I was in Mississippi. And so we were about 600 miles apart. And the only way that we could communicate was, was by dialing long distance. There was no cell phones yet. There was no text messaging. So we, we had to call long distance, if you can remember, um, when that was actually a thing. And, and we had rules and regulations by our parents about how much time we could actually spend talking on the phone, especially after the first month that we were together and I racked up a $350 phone bill. And needless to say, I was no longer allowed to um, call Brittany on the phone. And so we then became limited to the old AOL Instant Messenger, the old AIM. Um, if you remember, it's just where you could type in and hit enter and it would send it. It was almost like texting before texting existed kind of thing. And so we got to the point where we knew each other's schedule so well that when we would send a message to the other person via computer and, and knowing that when they got back from class that they would have some, we would have something in response, at least some sort of communication. But there were days when we were being college students and so we didn't come straight back to class. We were enjoying campus, doing something fun on, on campus and we would return and there would be no message, silence. And so as the mature 18 and 19-year-olds that we were, we gave each other the silent treatment back, that if you're not sending me something, I'm not sending you anything. And so silence could be very frustrating sometimes when you're 600 miles apart. And, and it can be frustrating, but our country, we have also experienced a time where silence can be terrifying. When you're longing for the silence to be broken and it's continual silence, that can be a terrifying thought. In April of 1970, Jim Lovell, Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes, three astronauts getting ready to launch for the Apollo 13 mission, heading in for another moon landing, and it was supposed to be a glorious time in the, in the history of our country, but as a, a, in some part during the, the, the launch, there was an explosion on board. They, we lost our fuel tanks and we lost electricity. And as they made it into space for, for the next five days, 22 hours, 54 minutes, and 43 seconds, these three astronauts were aimlessly caught in Earth's orbit. And then over those nearly six days, they traveled 622,268 miles, good enough for one and a half orbits around the Earth. And during those nearly six days, the engineers and other astronauts back at NASA were trying to come up with a plan and how they were going to get them home. Hopefully, and on the re-entry of the atmosphere, that the heat shield did not let up and that when they did come home, they would still be alive. It was a, it was a terrifying time for our country and for, for the families especially of, of those astronauts. And any time there was any kind of re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere from space, there was always a period of radio silence. It was, it was inevitable that that was going to happen. But never in the history of space exploration had that radio silence lasted longer than three minutes. 
But on this day, it was much different. On April the 17th, 1960, they came up with a plan to bring our astronauts home, and this time America was watching. They were watching on TV, they were listening to the communication between NASA and the astronauts at the beginning, and then it went to silence. And that time for those families as they watched, it was terrifying. And as much as I can tell you that it was a terrifying experience, the movie Apollo 13 does an unbelievable job of depicting what, how terrifying silence can be. So I want you to watch what our nation was going through on April the 17th, 1970. One minute and 30 seconds to end flight. seem like an eternity when you're waiting for the silence to be broken. And for the family members, for the spouses, for the, for the children, it, it almost seemed it as it never ended. But four minutes seems very small when you compare that to 400 years of silence. What must 400 years of silence be like? Because from the, from the moment that Adam and Eve ate from the tree in the garden, Man's greatest need became for a savior. And from that point on, prophets began to, to tell of the future coming Messiah and of, of, of a savior that was coming to this earth. And for nearly 4,000 years, these prophets were prophesying of this happening, passing it down from generation to generation. Scriptures were being handed down. 
And then at the end of the Old Testament, you look in your book at the end of Malachi, there's just a, there's a blank page and it's a white page and then you flip it over another one and it starts Matthew chapter one. But what the reality of that is the period that from the last time that a prophet spoke a thus saith the Lord or a word from God to the time of when Jesus was born was a period of about 400 years. Could you imagine being uh, uh, the, the children of God that were longing and waiting for a Messiah to come? What that must have been like for them? What were they thinking? Did they think, was, is God dead? Did, did, did he, is he mad at us? Does he not have anything left to say? Were the prophets wrong? And so there was, you could imagine the questions that would be coming into their mind, but then all of a sudden the silence was broken. And it was, you would think that the King of Kings, the coming Messiah, the, the savior of the world was going to be an exuberant party celebration. You would think that's the way it would be after 400 years of silence. Because in just a moment, I'm gonna show you when Jim Lovell's voice came over the intercom and America heard that the astronauts were safe, there was a party at NASA. And here's, here's what that looks like. Here's what it looks like when the silence is broken. This is the way we should respond when the silence is broken. When you're longing for the news and the silence is broken, you're jumping for joy. Or maybe you're sitting in relief, or maybe it even brings tears. I mean, think about it, even in our own society, in, the, in June, this past summer, the Cleveland Cavaliers won a world championship for the first time in the history of their franchise, and 1.3 million people showed up on a work day to watch some guys ride on a fire truck through the streets of Cleveland. Go back just last month when the Chicago Cubs erased 108 years of losing when they finally won a World Series, and it's estimated that 5 million people showed up in Chicago to watch their parade, which is good enough for the seventh largest gathering of people in human history because they won some baseball games. So when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is coming, when the coming Messiah is announced, we're talking about time stopping. But no, that's not what happened. The silence of 400 years was broken by the cry of a little baby. God had a different plan. And, and for some, that may have been a letdown. I mean, have you ever been up at three in the morning when your child, need, you know, the baby needed to be fed? <laughs> Crying is not very fun. But the cry of the baby, that was, that was the way the silence was broken. But if only they would have paid attention to the prophets of old, they would have known it. Isaiah told them, Isaiah in chapter seven, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Christmas story is one of the greatest stories that's ever been told. And, and my, it's, I love it, not because of all the, that comes with it, but I love it because of the way Jesus came. It was unexpected. It wasn't what everybody wanted. My king wasn't gonna be born as a baby. 
He wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna be in a manger. He wasn't gonna be in a cave. That wasn't the way it was gonna happen. But God's plan was much different. So today, we're gonna spend some time just reliving the birth of Jesus. It's the greatest story ever told. It's an old story, but it's ever new, and God's people never tire of hearing it. So if you will, let's turn to Luke chapter two, and we'll start in verse one. A story that we've heard many times, but may we be fascinated by the truth and the joy of this passage. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went, um, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He was there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It was, since, it was a census year. Those were taking place about one out of every 14 years, and as you can imagine, it's one of the most busy days of the entire year, weeks of the entire year. Caesar Augustus uh, was, was ruler of all of the Roman Empire, and he thought he had power by forcing everybody to go home to, their, to the land of their home of their forefathers, forcing them to go to those places. And as much as Caesar Augustus thought he was in power, he forgot to recognize that God Almighty was in control. See, it had already been prophesied in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, Brad shared it last week, that out of the town of Bethlehem, though it may be small, the king that would rule over all of Israel would come from it. And though Caesar Augustus thought he was controlling the situation, God Almighty was just fulfilling his prophecies. He was fulfilling his word. And so Mary and Joseph, they had to leave from Nazareth and make their journey to Bethlehem, an 80-mile journey, not ideal, for a woman who's nine months pregnant riding on a donkey. Not an ideal situation. As they get there, they're to tell of their, their family, their occupation, their property, and so on and so forth. And as you could imagine, it was a difficult journey for Mary to take. The scripture speaks of her, her joyfulness in the journey. We know this because when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary in, in, in Luke chapter 1, telling her that she would conceive a child from the Holy Spirit and that she would give birth to the Son of God, her response to the angel says this, be it unto me according to thy word. So Mary was rejoiceful in the fact that she was having to take a difficult journey because she knew that she was helping fulfill God's word. And as they arrived, as they arrived in Bethlehem, we know the story. There was no place for them to sleep, but a cave. And no place to place a baby, no place for a baby to sleep, but in a feeding trough. No mother wants that for their firstborn child, especially the king of the universe. But this is where we found ourselves. And then it says in verse 8, and there were some shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I find it interesting that the very first announcement of the birth of Christ was to a group of anonymous shepherds. Shepherds that, that were really considered to be the outcasts of Israel. Not because they were bad people, but they were considered outcasts because of what their job required of them. See, they were seen as ceremoniously unclean because they had to touch and handle sheep. And the only way that they could be cleansed was by going to the temple, but being a shepherd required them to stay away from the temple for weeks at a time. So they were seen as ceremoniously unclean. And I also think it's interesting that anytime an angel ever shows up in scripture, their first phrase is always, do not be afraid. Uh, my response is, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> um, could you imagine being a shepherd out in the middle of the fields? Could you, could you imagine, do, I don't know what shepherds do, but it was nighttime, so maybe they were taking a rest and they were counting the stars at night. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, as they're looking up into the stars, the, the sky lights up with the glory of God. And as not only is the glory of God there, a some sort of creature appears in the sky with wings and it's flying, and then it starts to speak to you. And the first word is, don't be afraid. I'd be like, don't be afraid, give me a new cloak. <laughs> I'm scared, okay? So that's, the, do not be afraid. And the reason that they were terrified, the reason that it says they were terrified was because for the first time in centuries, nearly four centuries, the glory of God returned to the earth. And as much as they were seen as ceremoniously unclean, one thing could be said about the shepherds. They were known to be men of honor, of honesty, and of bravery. So anytime that they spoke, people listened to them. And I find that very interesting that for the very first time, the, the commissioning of sharing the gospel was sent to the shepherds. When it says, I bring you good news of great joy, the word good news translated is the same words used as, as for the gospel. So the, these honest men that were seen as ceremoniously unclean were the first ones told to go and share the good news of Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, it was perhaps because maybe they were the ones, maybe the flock that they were tending to was going to one day be used as a temple sacrifice. But it was the angel coming to them and say, I need to let you know that the Lamb of God that's going to be the sacrifice of all eternity is coming. It's interesting that the good shepherd and the Lamb of God was first introduced to the shepherds. But the Messiah came, and, and, he, and, and the reason that there was good news of great joy was because the Messiah was coming. The angel said, don't be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And so the fear that the, that the shepherds once had was now balanced by their joy. And it made me think, I looked at the, de the Greek definition of the word joy that's used here, and it, it literally means to bring cheerfulness, calmness, or delight. And as you find yourself in this season, what are the things that brings you delight? What are the things that, brings, that cause you to be cheerful or bring calmness to you? I started thinking through that, and some of, for some of you, it may be your children or your grandchildren, they bring you joy, and for other of you, you're saying, not right now, they don't, but that could be the case. It could be, for many of you, it could be the, your jobs or your accomplishments or the recognition of a job well done. It brings you joy. For many of you in this room, I, I know it's the college football playoff because you only have to play Washington in the first round. Like, there's joy in that, right? Because that's who you have. But I think all of us could tend to agree that there's joy when we have good food. That, that always brings joy. 
And, and for a lot of us, when we get that extra, just extra little bit of sleep, joy is, comes. But here's what my good friend Clayton King said about joy. He says, joy comes from our Savior. It does not come from our circumstance. Joy comes from our Savior, not our circumstance. If you notice the passage of Scripture, when the angels declared that there was good news, they didn't say, I have to bring you good news of great happiness. Because happiness is based on, on your circumstances, based on your situation, where joy, rather, is produced by the Holy Spirit. If you look in Galatians, and it refers to the fruit of the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, and patience. So therefore, ha- um, joy is not based on your situation, but it is based on Christ's coming to make his dwelling among us. And as a result, we were created to experience joy. God wants us to have joy in our life. He wants us to live life in the fullest, according to John 10.10. God created us to experience that joy that comes because he made his dwelling among us. And the reason that the the good news of great joy for all people, the reason that it caused joy was because they were able to see the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. It caused so much joy, um, even in its announcement, that when, when Mary was pregnant, she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And her, her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant at the same time with John the Baptist. And when Mary told Elizabeth of, that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, John the Baptist leapt for joy within the womb, just hearing of the coming king. So what was the good news? What was the good news of great joy? Well, it's 12 words that changed the world forever. And you see those 12 words in verse 11, where it says this, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There's your 12 words of joy, that a savior is coming. The good news was not that God was sending us a a, a soldier. It was not that he was sending us a judge or a political reformer. The good news is that he was sending us a savior to meet man's greatest need. And the beautiful thing about this announcement was not that Mary was giving birth to a son, but he was giving birth to, the, to God himself. In the announcement that the angels gave the shepherds, there were three parts in it that were announced the deity of God. If you notice, it says, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ and he is the Lord. So three times did they announce the deity of God in, this, in the announcement of Jesus' birth. See, for many people, when they saw Mary giving birth to a son, when they recognized that she was going to give birth, they saw that she was going to give birth to a man. But they did not recognize that although he was fully man, he was also fully God. And so uh, in the Gospel of John, when John records the history of creation through Jesus, through Jesus he starts in John 1.1 by saying, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. But if you fast forward to verse 14, it also says, And the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. To have been an angel, what that must have been like for an angel who had spent eternity with Jesus in heaven, who now saw the creator come to earth as a tiny creature, the word becoming speechless as a little baby. And that's why the angels came to say, I bring you good news of great joy because they've already experienced the beauty and the glory of the Lord because they were in its presence every day. And they came, to tell the, they came to tell the shepherds, you don't have to be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus is coming to you. A savior has been born. So you just get excited. You gotta go tell people about this. 
And though he was fully God, he was fully man. He was born as a human. He grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in intelligence. He had emotions. He wept. He, he hungered and thirsted, so he ate. He even had human will. As evidence, the night that he was arrested in the garden, when he cried out to God and said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. The reason that we have joy is because Jesus came and he lived the life that you and I live. He experienced every part of who we were. And the message version of the Bible translated, and I, I just love the descriptive words that the message uses. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Because Jesus came and lived the life that we live. There was no temptation common to man that he did not already go through. So Jesus experienced, he, he, moved, he came and lived life amongst the people. He did not come and hover over us. He came and made his dwelling among us. And so I started thinking, if, if the message says that he moved into the neighborhood, what's the Dawson translation of this look like? To me, it sounds something like this. The word became flesh and blood and went to chapel choir. And the word became flesh and blood and he volunteered at kid life. And the word became flesh and, and, and went to life group. And he went to candlelight next, Friday, next Saturday and Sunday. And he worked at day camp. And just fill in the blank of anything that we do at Dawson because Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. He lived the life that we live. And that's the reason that we have joy. So if we could condense all of Christmas into one little phrase, to me it's this. There is joy because God is with us. There is joy because God is with us. And so God sent his son. The good news of great joy for all people. A savior was sent to meet man's greatest need, and there was a lot of need. And that time, and what was going on in, that, in the world at that time, for Mary and Joseph, first of all, for them, they were involved in the greatest marital scandal in the history of the world. Taxes were at an all-time high. Unemployment was at an all-time high. They were living under military rule. And there was also the moral decay of the society was increasing daily. So they were under a very difficult time. There was a lot of stress. And so God, as much as the Roman law and Greek philosophy and the Jewish religion was trying to meet man's greatest need, they could not do it. So he sent his son to meet our greatest need, and that was to provide a savior. And for many of us in the room today, we are sitting here and we understand maybe what Mary and Joseph were going through, that things are tough. It's supposed to be Christmas season, but there's not a lot of joy going on in my life right now. For some of our students, it's because they're having to study for exams for the next week. Or maybe it's, or maybe it's you just, you're about to graduate from college and you've got job interviews to think about. Or maybe it's, you just have some difficult things going on in your family. There's some sickness or health issues. Maybe there's some marital struggles going on that you're, you're, you're hiding right now and the, there's the talk of divorce and there's not a lot of joy in that. It could be that, like me, this past week, your car breaks down and you got a huge you know, payment to make on that. Not a lot of joy in that. Or maybe you find yourself, maybe this is the first holiday season without someone that you love. 
And you say, Lance, I know there's supposed to be joy, but I don't understand how we experience joy at this time. And it's a very real feeling. It's a very real emotion. But here's why I think there's joy. And sometimes I know it's much easier to say than to feel and to experience. But the reason we have joy is because God's glory returned to the earth in the person of his son. And by his son, Jesus Christ, coming to make his dwelling among us, he gives us more than our sin or our hurt could ever take away from us. We have joy because we know that there is no one who knows the worst, knows us better than Jesus, and he, that means he knows the worst about us. But we also know that there's no one who loves us more. We can have joy because no one will ever love us as passionately and fully as Jesus. He, is, he will fight for you. He will run for you, run after you. And when that love captures your heart, then the only, the only result is an unexplainable joy that is the good news for all people. The reason that we can have joy in the midst of our difficulties, the reason that we can have joy in the midst of our trials is because he came to make his dwelling among us. A savior was born for us to meet our greatest needs. And he is Christ the Lord. So this holiday season, we have joy because Christ came. He made his dwelling among us and lived our life. And we have joy because of it. So this morning, um, as John comes to lead us, we, will, we want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you have never experienced a personal relationship before in your life and you don't, with Jesus Christ, and you don't know what it means to experience true joy. Your joy is wrapped up in your circumstance because you haven't not met your Savior. So this morning, if you, if you feel like you have just questions about how do I have a, a personal relationship with Jesus, how do I make him the Lord of my life, we will have pastors up here to talk you through that and to counsel you through that. Or maybe you don't have a place that you call your church home and you feel like Dawson may be a place that that could be for you. We have pastors up here that can talk to you about that as well, about what it means to be a member of our family of faith. As I pray, when I, when I, when I conclude my prayer, that'll be your time for, to come as John and the choir leads us. Lord Jesus, you are, you are awesome in this place today. We love you, Father. God, thank you for sending, sending your son to come and dwell among us. Thank you for, for coming and living a life that we could never live on our own. God, you came and you dwelt among us and you lived the perfect life so that you could be the ultimate sacrifice for us, that you could go to the cross, that you could die for our sins and that three days later you could rise again. And as a result of that, we can have eternity spent with you. And so, God, I pray today that that brings us eternal joy. God, for those of us in the room today that may not be feeling joyful, we've, we've allowed our circumstances to, to control our feelings and our emotions. God, I pray that you return to us the joy of our salvation. Because we know that you are our Savior, you are our King, and you are in control. So God, we turn our life over to you today. In your name I pray, amen.